All right. Good morning. How are y'all? Good, good. It is good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, second week of our prayer series, so I'm excited to dive into that with you guys today. Um, I have a couple of quick things to uh, kind of get us grounded, if you will, on our sermon today so we know a pace and direction as to where we're going. Uh, firstly, if you were not here for the opening week, which was last week, I would encourage you to go online at some point and listen to that sermon. Um, it'll really help pace you throughout this whole series. Uh, by no means will you be lost if you did not hear it. So if you were not here or have not had a chance to listen to it, you will not be lost today or in any of the uh, sermons, as a matter of fact. But it is helpful because last week we covered the Lord's Prayer and kind of gave us a base or a foundation, if you will, into what prayer is and why it's important. And we covered mainly that prayer is, at its simplest form, communion with God, right? We have the ability to commune with the divine, with God Almighty. We have the ability to know him and to even have interaction with him in very important and intricate ways. And so that's kind of the base of it, but I would encourage you to go listen to that uh, if you get a chance. Um, And I think it'll help more uh, ground us in the idea of prayer. All right. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We are going to be flipping all around today a little bit. Um, However, you can go to Ephesians chapter three, which is where we'll camp out for a while. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, If you do not own a Bible, would you please take and keep that Bible? That is our gift to you. We want you to have the word and to be able to use that throughout the week. And so please keep that. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the version app, or some people call it the Bible app, underneath the tab section, uh, click on live, type in the well Austin. You'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there's notes, places for uh, the scriptures, uh, prayer requests, etc. cetera. Uh, if you do not have that app, you can actually take this link, put it right into your browser, and you can follow along that way. If you ever get sick of hearing that exact same statement over and over and over again, that's a great time to fill out your communication card, all right? Because um, you will hear that every single week. Okay, um, so I told you all last week uh, that prayer for me personally does not come naturally. Like the Lord had to really do a lot of shaping and refining in my own personal life to be able to pray well. And so by no means am I coming up here and kind of communicating as somebody who has uh, uh, perfected or kind of naturally slidden into prayer. Like the Lord has had to do a lot of work, take me through a lot of things to even begin to, in my mind, scratch the surface of the depths of that we can have intimacy with Christ through prayer. So the word for me comes a little bit more naturally, right? Matter of fact, I was reading the Bible and that's Part of how I came to faith in Christ was just through reading the word of God. But prayer has always been hard. I know for some of us, it's the exact opposite. Like we can pray pretty easily, but to dive into the scriptures are a little bit harder. Wherever we may land, I want you to know that prayer is worth the effort that it takes. Okay, prayer is worth the effort that it takes in order to commune with and to draw deeper into uh, the love of God. And so I used to think that, and honestly, even when I would hear myself praying out loud, they kind of sound like my daughter's prayers sound right now. Okay, so my daughter is two, for those of you who do not know. And every night before we go down to bed, uh, we'll pray and I'll let her pray. And her prayers usually consist of her telling me about her day, kind of, except she's talking to God, right? So she'll say, God, thank you. Uh, I threw Kitty and ate lunch. And I said, no, mommy, no. And she spanked me and amen. All right, that's usually how they sound a little bit, okay? And then I would hear other people pray and they would sound like they were sitting at the 
the feet of Paul, learned from him, and then came into my living room and prayed, right? Like, and so I would uh, hear my prayers and, and kind of, in contrast, hear other people's prayers. And I could just tell there was a very, very stark difference between the way that they prayed and the way that I prayed. And it wasn't just that they were using magnificent or, or, or kind of uh, long words by any means. It was that it really seemed like they were communing with God, like they were intimate with God. And when I would pray, I would know in my heart that I lacked that intimacy. And so what I found actually, though, was that one of my biggest helps into learning how to pray well, into learning how to commune and connect with God was actually corporate prayer, okay, or communal prayer. So praying with others and having others pray for you. That's what we're talking about today is corporate prayer, praying with others collectively and having others pray or intercede over you. It helped my prayers turn from my daughter's prayers, okay, what it felt like, which is okay, she's two, but it wasn't okay when I was 22, right, into what I felt like was more of a depth of a relationship with God. So we're going to camp out in Ephesians, so you can turn there, but what I actually want to do is I want to go through several different scriptures so that you can see that this is actually a common theme in the word of God. Okay, so I don't want you to think that corporate prayer isn't something that's entrenched deep in scripture. We're going to go through several different passages to show that all throughout the text, there are all these examples of corporate prayer. So you don't have to flip around. They'll all be on the screen. Obviously, if you would like, you can try to flip around and uh, practice your Awana skills. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you grew up in Awana? Raise your hands. Don't be ashamed of it. All right, it's good. All right, about 15 or so of you. How many of you have no idea what Awana is and think I just named an African country or some <laughs> 90s pop song? All right, okay, that's all good. All right, all right, <laughs> here we go. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verses 19 and 20. Here's the first part about corporate prayer. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So this text shows us that Jesus is present with us when we pray in a group, two or three or the hint is more, all right? Whenever a couple of people or more are gathered, there Jesus is. Now, a quick note about this passage right here, okay? Nowhere in scripture does it say that corporate prayer is more effective or better than private prayer. All right, you tracking with that? So I know this verse is like, hey, we're a couple of gathered. Man, I will answer. But there's also prayers that, or, or Jesus says that our individual prayers do the same thing. So by no means is private prayer more effectual at gaining the ear of God as opposed to corporate prayer or vice versa. Both of them in scripture are laid out as necessary for us to have full communion with God. And so I wanted to kind of get that off the, uh, off the bat to kind of come off. This isn't more important or this isn't more important all through we see even Jesus practicing corporate prayer very frequently, praying with his disciples, praying with people who he's healing, praying over people. And we see a very uh, 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 eccentric private prayer life, even where he would go out and throughout the whole night spend time with God by himself. We see the aspect of Jesus in both. And so next week when we talk about private prayer, we'll see that this is very important too. But one is not more important than the other. Both in scripture are highlighted as very necessary and important. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And these, they're the disciples, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. 
together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So in this context, just to give you some example, Jesus just ascended into heaven, okay? Acts 1-8 was the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples, and then he kind of like, oof, and elevated into heaven, all right? The disciples were standing there looking, not really knowing what to do, and the angel said, hey, didn't he tell you he would give you the Holy Spirit? Go, meet somewhere. So they go into a room, and I'm sure they're kind of like, what are we supposed to do now, right? And I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know who led them on this, but they start praying. Six verses later, we see the first act of the church post-ascension of Christ was them gathered together in prayer. I don't think that's a mistake, that that's the first thing that we see the church doing is praying together, right? And so maybe Peter wanted to like go and chop somebody's head off in the name of Christ or something, and the other disciples found it more necessary to pray, and somehow prayer has ended up what they have settled on, what they focused on as the first act of the church. Acts chapter 2, a chapter later, verse 42, this is one of the most famous verses about why the church is important and what the church should be doing. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, okay? This is the famous Acts 2 verse that shows how the early church did a couple of things that were important. A, they taught and listened to the word of God. And so the apostles' teachings were the teachings that Jesus had given them. So they were teaching and listening to the word of God. They had community or fellowship which is very important. That's why we stress community groups or discipleship relationships or some way to find yourself in the midst of other believers on a continual basis. They performed the sacraments, mainly here communion, and then they prayed together. One of the greatest examples of what a church is supposed to be doing, we see them praying together collectively as a whole body. Acts chapter 12, a few chapters later, verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church, okay? Now, the context here is that Peter got arrested for sharing the gospel. So Peter's out preaching the word of God and then he gets arrested. However, the church of God gathered together around him and began to pray for him in somebody's house, all right? And so, in case you're not familiar with the story, in the prayers of the saints, it says that God heard them and he rescued Peter. And so, because of their prayers, Peter was then rescued from prison and able to keep doing ministry. So the church didn't preach about what they should do necessarily. At least we don't see that example in scripture. Maybe they did have a little bit of exhortation, but they didn't necessarily preach like, hey, here's how we get our pastor out of jail, right? This is what the word of God says. Matter of fact, Psalm 91 says we crush the heads of the enemies or whatever it may be, right? Like they weren't preaching. At least we don't see that. They didn't devise a sneaky plan on how to build a tunnel system so that Peter can escape, right? They didn't uh, do a fundraiser and sell cookies to post his bail, right? Like they got together and they prayed. As a quick side note, if I am ever in jail, you have my permission to do all four of those things, all right? (laughs) Sell cookies, pray, do whatever it takes, all right? But we see them praying and God listens to the prayers of the saints collectively. Let's keep going. Uh, Let's jump out of Acts, go into 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11. Paul says, you also Corinthian church, must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says that the prayers of many will help them in their apostolic ministry. So Paul says, my uh, 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 effectual activity in ministry hinges on your prayer for me. So pray for me that I may continue to proclaim the word of God, that many people may give thanks to God through your prayers. It's the prayers of the collective church that was helping Paul in his ministry, okay? 
lest we think this is just a New Testament act, let's jump back into the Old Testament. Joel chapter one, verse 14. Joel tells the people of Israel, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord or pray to the Lord. A cry out means to pray to God, right? So they're calling upon all the people to pray to God together that God might hear and that he might respond to their prayer request. In Nehemiah chapter nine, there's a 38 uh, verse chapter on the people of God praying to God, confessing their sin before God. And so we see that, uh, in Acts, there was a lot of petitioning going on. They were asking God for things. In Joel, they say, hey, cry out to the Lord your God, petition. But in Nehemiah, the people gather together and they're actually confessing their sin together to God. So collectively, they're saying, God, here's how we've sinned against you. God, would you forgive us, right? The Psalms are loaded with communal prayers. In fact, we just read one this morning in which it says, give thanks to God, shout out to God. Let us sing his praises. Let us pray together to exalt his name. And so communally, we exalt God's name through prayer. We can confess sin through prayer. We can petition him through prayer. All throughout scriptures, there's this theme where communal prayer or corporate prayer is an important practice for the Christian to be doing on a regular basis. And I'm going to guess, because I know a lot of you all well, that this is one of the areas that is most lacking in your personal prayer life, is that of corporate prayer, okay? I think this is one of the areas that's most lacking. It was one of the areas for me that was most lacking to where when I began to get in the mix of this on a regular basis, I realized that my own communion with God got so much sharper because of other people's communion with God. J.B. Johnson, a historian, in his book on prayer meetings, said, history confirms the truth that wherever evangelical and vital religion flourish, there, there lives the earnest gathering for social prayer or corporate prayer, okay? Now, in an Eastern context, all right, in an Eastern where there's a lot of Eastern-based religion, right, what we're going to be talking about next week is going to be very foreign to them, that of private prayer. Because in an Eastern context, all of what they do is a communal or a family-based system, right? And so you see in the Bible where somebody gets saved, like the guy gets saved, and it says the whole family gets saved, and we're kind of like, how does that happen, right? Well, they did things corporately or communally. If one person kind of acted, particularly if they were a leader in that community, everybody else to some extent followed suit. Everything was done on a, on a corporate level. And so next week, as we talk about private prayer, I think for a lot of the Eastern context, that would be a little bit confusing. But for our Western individualistic society that we live in, that we are a part of, this idea of corporate prayer is probably a little bit foreign to a lot of us. Like we probably don't practice it regularly because even when you first come to Christ, they teach you to pray to God, but by yourself, right? Now, once again, like I said, this is a very good thing. That's why we're talking about it next week. It's an important thing. It's necessary for our growth in the Lord, but we get taught how to pray privately, but not necessarily publicly. And so I think that this is an aspect of our Christian lives that are as often lacking. And then because it's lacking, we don't experience full communion or full intimacy with God that we could have if it were not lacking, right? So this is hard, but this is why it's extremely important, okay? Now, there are two types of communal prayers that I want to kind of hit on. One of them is the one we've just been focusing on, the one we kept reading about all throughout Scripture. And that's when the community is collectively praying together in one accord, praising, confessing, petitioning and worshiping God. Everybody is kind of together. So corporate prayer 
is the community of saints praying to God collectively on one accord. All right? It's all of us praying together, asking God for the same things. Now, there are hundreds of texts that highlight this, but I want to jump in one. So Ephesians chapter 3, which I told you guys to camp out at. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 14. Remember, we're talking about corporate prayer, all of us praying together. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, this text is a little bit too good, all right? And I'm about to get hyped. Do you know how many times I feel like dancing on stage when I like read something or I know a point's coming and then I remember that this will be uncomfortable and unprofitable for me and for you. So I do not do it, all right? But look at the text, okay? I want you to think about this, okay? Don't let your hearts get dull on this text because you're used to it. Like look at what it's saying here. You can know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. What is that, this? What's the length? And whatever that is, the height, depth, width, and breadth, that's a lot of God, right? You can know all the fullness of God. Like you, a little individual human being with a puny little brain, right, can know the fullness of God who creates everything, who is infinite in his wisdom and knowledge, who is full in his understanding, who is full in his wrath yet love, in his mercy yet justice, in his grace yet his uh, fury for sin. We can know all of the fullness of God. We can know that. But how? How does this text say that we can know that? Look back again at verse 18. It says, together with all the saints. It's together with all the saints that we can know the height, depth, breadth, and width of the love of Christ. Not alone, not by ourselves, not in a, a isolated little camp where we are just by ourselves trying to commune with God, but instead it's actually together with all the saints that we can know the whole fullness of God. Together, you and me, me and you, us collectively together, that's how we grow into the full knowledge of who God is. This is a communal aspect. This is all of us together. This is corporate. This is all of us meeting, right? And I want you to know that you can know Jesus, but you need to do it in the context of community. Like scripture is very plain about that. All throughout the New Testament, we see this theme that it's together with all of us that we can actually know Christ. So this is part of the beauty and the power of corporate or of communal prayer. The practicing of togetherness is an ability for us to comprehend and apprehend the fullness of God and who he is. Corporate prayer helps us to treasure Christ more collectively together, okay? I find it awesome, by the way, that Paul told us this truth in the midst of a prayer, that's why I read that whole thing. He says, I bow my knees before the Father in heaven and I say, right? Paul is praying this on behalf of the Ephesian church that they would know him. Even what we studied last week in the Lord's Prayer, think about the pronouns that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, our Father, right? Give us 
this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. All of the pronouns that we see are actually communal in their nature. And so God, even in the Lord's Prayer, which we studied last week, set it up so that we would be doing this collectively together, that together with all the saints, we would know who he is. And so just think for a second how practically true this is, okay? Matter of fact, this week in our community group, one of the things that we did was we separated in groups of four or five, and we got together and we just kind of prayed through the Lord's Prayer. And so, you know, we were praying it and we were expanding on each section. And at one point, Caleb, who uh, was in our group last week, began to pray and he just started like breaking down and crying. And he started praying for all the hurt that was in the world and, and all of the women that were being mistreated and all of the people that weren't f- uh, feeling fulfilled and the weight of his sin. And he's like bawling, you know? And so I kind of looked at him for a second because I couldn't really tell if he was doing like one of those pastor cries. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, there are some pastors who I have no idea how they do this. Like, I'm an emotional guy, but somehow they can say anything and immediately produce tears, right? And they start, like, weeping, and they make a point more explicit because of their weeping. Y'all ever seen that? Oh, okay, I guess not. Dead illustration, couple people. But, like, I, I was wondering, like, was he doing, like, a pastor cry? Like, was he just kind of, like, for, and I could tell he was not, Like, for whatever reason, his heart was struck with all of the injustice in the world, with all of the things that bring burden, that bring guilt, that bring pain, and he just started weeping. And I thought, I don't feel like that, but I should, right? Like, like I should be broken over sin. I should be broken over people hurting, but I don't feel like that. And so Caleb, at that moment, became for me somebody who was able to lead me into a deeper presence and understanding of God. Because I know that God cares about that. Matter of fact, that's part of what Jesus came down on this earth to do, was to heal us of all injustice, was to wipe it clean, was that together as we follow and submit to him, all things begin to be made right. I see it plainly true in scripture, but I didn't feel it in my heart. And I saw Caleb begin to pray like that and it moved me and it made me begin to think, that's what I want, God. And so while he's praying, I'm saying yes and amen to that. Like I say that too, I want to agree with that. Like that's how I want my heart to respond. Corporate prayer or communal prayer allows us to hear the prayers of others and in one accord begin to say yes and amen with them. It shows us areas where we may be falling short, where we don't have that much of a knowledge, understanding, or treasuring of God, and it allows us together collectively to be praying that together. Caleb was my example. He was my go-before to God for me at that meeting. And I'm sure that there were other moments in the prayer where, where his wife or where I was for them and et cetera. And so we need each other in that way. And that's why Christ said, together with all the saints, do we actually see this? C.S. Lewis has a great thought on this idea in one of his books, The Four Loves. This is a long statement. It's a very pregnant statement, okay? What I mean by that is there's a lot in it, all right? Um, But look at this. He says, in each one of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Now, the friends he's talking about is this group called the Inklings. I don't really know what that means, all right? It sounds kind of C.S. Lewis-y, right? But there was a group of four friends that would always get together. They would write books together. One of them was J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. All right, there are other friends that he had, and they were all together very frequently. And each one of my friends, there is something that only the other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. 
I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald, that's J.R. Tolkien, reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him, quote unquote, to myself, now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, 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 to one another, the text says. Not to God, but to one another. The more we thus shall share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. C.S. Lewis is saying it takes a community to know an individual. That's what he's saying. It takes a community. Charles was able to say some jokes that only J.R.R. Tolkien understood. And, and then, but then C.S. Lewis got to see this. And he, he loved this aspect of Tolkien. But now that Charles was dead, even though C.S. Lewis had more time with him now, he actually didn't have more of him. He actually had less of him. Because there were things that only the other person can draw out. Tim Keller takes this point and says, if this is true about a mortal human being, how much more is this true about an eternal God? If it takes a community to know me as an individual, you as an individual, how much more true is this about an eternal, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God? It must take all of us to draw out the fullness of God, right? Like I think about it in my own life. Natalie, my wife, really, really loves the truth of God. And so when I'm around Natalie, I see more of the truth of God in scripture and through her prayers and in our worship. And that's what she gets excited about and kind of cries over and gets frustrated when she doesn't see it happening in the world. I love seeing the truth of God with Natalie. But then when I'm around somebody else, say Chris, I see the artistic nature of God because he's an artist and he loves how God works like that. Yet when I'm around Jake, I see the structure of God. And these two things are very uh, different, right? And by themselves, they actually only have a tiny piece of God where if they only rely on the way they think of God, they will never know the fullness of God. But when we're all together, I get to see all these things in my friends and they're showing me more and more of who God is. So when we're praying together, I begin to hear this of God, right? I love knowing God intimately, but my friend Nick loves knowing God intellectually. So I hear the intellect of God, the wisdom of God. Huli loves the husbandry of God, right? Huli's always talking about how she's a husband of God. She has that tattooed on her. Like she loves this idea. Whereas Travis loves the mercy of God. And the more people I meet with and I'm around and we get to pray together, the more I see the fullness of God. You need each other. You need me, I need you, we need each other to see the full nature of who God is, amen? Like, are y'all tracking with this? This is important, right? And so it takes a community to be able to pray intimately and to commune deeply with God. We need each other. So the more we see God, the more corporate prayer allows us to see this reality through one another. Corporate prayer is often us hearing the other person saying, yes and amen to this. I agree with this. That's what I want to be true, as Caleb did for me at community group. And then it spurs us on toward prayer, toward having more communion with God. This is one of the hundreds of reasons, by the way, why it's important to be actively involved in a local church. Because as you're actively involved, you form that community and together you all get to exalt God collectively that you would know him more individually. 
Like this is an important aspect. So corporate prayer does many things for us, but in one, it really helps us to know God, to commune with God in an intimate and in a beautiful way. Four of the things that it points out real quick in scripture about corporate prayer, I'm gonna fly through these. So you can find verses if you want. Like I said, there are hundreds of verses on this. Feel free to do this study on your own. But there are four main things that it talks about the value of corporate prayer for us. One, it brings us encouragement. Right, like that's what we just talked about. Hopefully you're already encouraged thinking about the possibility of knowing God more collectively. So sometimes we could be disappointed or frustrated or dry and the prayers of somebody else can encourage our hearts. They can aliven our hearts to know God more. Secondly, it brings unity of purpose. When you hear other people praying things and they kind of are like way more God-centric than yours are, you're more likely to kind of be unified underneath the purpose of God, right? Like you're more likely to want to uh, chase after the things of God because collectively you all see this together. Thirdly, it brings worship. Often we're motivated as we collectively worship God in prayer through him to glorify him more in our own individual lives. The saints together making much of his name makes us want to know him more, right? Like even just think about today, this morning, right? As you sing the songs of God and you hear some of these are prayers of the saints being lifted up to God, you're probably more likely to desire to chase God than if you were just watching football this morning, right? Now listen, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that negatively against that. That's an okay thing. But you're more likely to collectively together want to worship God as you meet with one another and have intimate communion and prayer worshiping God together. And then finally, it creates repentance. When we hear the prayers of others, we think, I'm not pursuing God like that. Like I just said with Caleb in my example in community group, right? And it seems to encourage us to repent and to lay down our idols and to seek God. Or James 5.16 tells us that when we repent communally, it actually brings about healing and forgiveness of our sins. Or not forgiveness, it brings about healing and restoration for our sins. So now we can actually walk in freedom and newness of life because of that together. And so we see this important thing. Now, once again, it does more than just these four things, all right? But these are four ways in which it's valuable and important for us, okay? And even in the triune nature of God, by the way, we see see God interacting like this, right? God the Father hears our prayers. Uh, God the Son is the high priest standing before us. God the Holy Spirit brings our prayers up to him, and collectively they're interacting as a community together. The Godhead communally are hearing the prayers of the saints and responding to those things collectively. And so even in the very nature and character of God, we see this idea of community being valuable or being important in prayer, okay? But there's a second aspect of corporate prayer that we're going to kind of fly through. I, I wish I, we should spend more time in this, honestly. But there's a second aspect of corporate prayer that is extremely important. And I don't want to say more valuable, but man, like this is a thing that scripture lays out all the time of the importance of corporate prayer, okay? Secondly, corporate prayer is the intercessions of a mediator on behalf of the community of saints. So the first thing we said is that it's all of us collectively together praying these things. But there's a second form of corporate prayer that happens all throughout scripture, and it's a mediator on behalf of the community of saints. And so this is of at least a minimum equal importance. Just this week I was reading Colossians and I came across this. Colossians chapter four, verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, listen, always struggling on, on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. His prayers on behalf of the church of Colossae would help them become mature and whole and full. 
Epaphras was their mediator. He was their stand between. He was the one that was praying for them to help them reach full maturity in Christ. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, right? Noah is a mediator on behalf of the people of God. Abraham too acts as a mediator. He prays for the nation as a whole. He prays for his cousin Lot. And if it weren't for that prayer, Lot very well may have been destroyed, right? Along with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is the mediator beseeching God, okay? And then here's a beautiful verse. Moses all the time is acting as a mediator. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 11 through 14, it says this. This is important, by the way. Don't miss this. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Listen to the boldness that Moses is praying here to the Lord. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Listen. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoke, spoken of bringing on his people. Moses prayed. God was going to destroy Israel. Moses prayed as a mediator, and it says God relented, or he turned away. He did not destroy them and said. This passage shows us the importance of having someone who goes before us and stands before us to God to intercede on our behalf when we cannot intercede ourselves. That's what Moses does all throughout as the mediator of God. Joshua, we see this all the time, the high priest, that's what his job was, was to go present an offering to God and then pray to God on behalf of the people that they may be forgiven of their sins. David prays this uh, uh, in uh, uh, 1 Kings 8 and in 1 Chronicles 16, David is praying on behalf of the people of God, right? Uh, all throughout the New Testament, we just read this in Colossians. Jesus does this for us in John chapter 17. In the Old and New Testament, there are all these examples of a mediator standing in between us and God. This is part of the reason why, by the way, pastoral prayers or elder prayers or the prayers of the worship leader over us on behalf of us are actually important for us to sit under because to some extent they are acting as a mediator before us. They are going before us, praying for us. Mark Devereux, a pastor in DC, says this, what specifically then does the biblical theology of prayer teach us who sit in the church pew or the folding chair or the stadium seating or the couch. It teaches us to listen to the person leading the prayer while repeating to God, yes, yes, that person speaks for me and all those around me. It teaches us not to be so arrogant as to think our religion hangs on our ability to articulate ourselves. It teaches us that the way of redemption requires us to lock arms with others, speaking for them when they cannot speak and listening to them when we cannot speak. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It reminds us that the impulses of our individual hearts are not always reliable guides. I wish, I wish you could like write, write that down, okay? The impulses of our individual hearts are not reliable guides. We need the mediator's intercession. It teaches us to submit our hearts to the prayers, confessions, and intercessions of the mediator praying and the mediator who intercedes continually. Did you catch the secret there? Did you catch that secret? 
So the beauty, we get to go before one another, but this is part of the reason why our faith is so important. This is part of the reason why we worship Jesus the way that we do. Why was it that all throughout the Old Testament, God laid as an example the importance of a mediator? Have you ever asked that? Like when you read that story about Moses, if you've read it before, have you ever asked, why did God relent? Like why did God listen to the prayers of this man, of, the, of Moses? Why did he listen to the prayers of Aaron or the rest of the high priest or Joshua or David or all of the prayers whom he listened to? Why was it that God was so willing to relent from the disaster come upon them? What was the importance? What was the value? What are we doing when we pray over you as elders or as pastors or as worship leaders or in your household as fathers or, or as mothers or as friends together? What is God pointing us to? What is he trying to remind us of? What is he trying to portray? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Let's end with this. Hebrews chapter 2. We're three passages in Hebrews. What is God doing here? Hebrews 2.17. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers, that he is Jesus, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the, son, or for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death, and he heard because of his reverence. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through uh, 28. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save, uh, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lived to make intercession or prayer for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer daily, first for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which has come later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." Jesus is our ultimate mediator. Jesus is our in-between. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the person praying before the Father when we don't know what to say, when we don't have the words to say. Listen, you and I are not holy enough in and of ourselves to approach a holy, perfect God. In comes the mediator, Jesus. In comes the Son of Man who lived as a human so that he can relate with us humanity. In comes the son of man who lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I should have died, lived a life that we could never live so that we can always have a mediator before us. Whenever we pray over you as pastors or elders, whenever you pray over your family as fathers or mothers, whenever you pray with each other in a community group or with friends, and when one person goes on behalf of everybody else, we are acting as Jesus at that moment, who was our example and our ultimate mediator. Jesus does what you and I could never do. I can never pray enough for you or earnestly or powerfully enough that God would hear me and save you. Yet, yet, all throughout we see this example where God says, I will listen to the voice of a mediator and I will save you. Jesus, because he is our mediator, is able to save us from our sins. Because he is a communal God, he restores relationship with us in God that we may have community forever now with him. Friends, this is why it's important that we pray together. This is why our hearts should be bursting with a desire to know God more collectively.
Because as we know him more, as we learn more of who he is as an individual and as a collective whole, we get to chase Christ more and we get to lay down our lives before our great mediator, before the better Moses, before the better Abraham, before the better David, the better Paul, the better Peter, Jesus is our mediator. Friends, we have a great, great, great communal prayer leader in Jesus. Let us pray and worship him collectively, individually, with everything that we have, that we may commune with the God of the universe. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that on the cross, Christ, you lost communication with God. Jesus, you lost communication with God. You no longer had communion. You were no longer able to talk to him. You said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 